0: welcome to the scary truth the podcast that takes scary stories urban legends and paranormal phenomena and puts them to the test of historical research science and sometimes just simple common sense to determine if they are true false or just a bunch of hooey i'm your host scott karen and joining me tonight is my lovely wife kayla
1: hello do you believe in ghosts i do I do you believe in ghosts something weird happened right after my grandfather passed the phone upstairs rang. oh yeah do you remember yeah, that yeah 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 the there were two phone three phones in the house and the only one that rang was the one upstairs mm-hmm. right after we buried him weird that is weird so i think that was him not saying that he was a ghost but right, right but that's like i don't have anything scary though okay Today, we
0: have quite the doozy of a story. When I started researching the story, um, it was suggested to me by a friend of ours. What started out as a little bit of research and trying to disprove the happenings in this one specific area, I uncovered a whole treasure trove of, like, craziness that happens. This story is called The Chapel Hill Light. Now, this takes place in a small town just south of Nashville. It's about an hour south of Nashville called Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Uh, and apparently the lights are, are kind of its claim to fame. Local media has covered it. It's been in several uh, books written about the area. Um, so I'm going to stop talking and just dive into this story as I've heard it. Sound good? Yep. Okay. So here it goes. It goes like this. A long time ago on a dark and rainy night. I feel like all these stories start with a long time ago on a dark and rainy night. Mm-hmm. a signalman named Skip Agent was working on the tracks. Skip was an older man and not too swift. This night, as he was walking the tracks, he slipped and fell. He didn't just fall, he went his head off the tracks and was knocked unconscious. And as Skip took an impromptu nap uh, in a not-so-convenient place, sure enough, a train came rolling along down those tracks. Skip was reportedly positioned in such a way that when he was struck, his capo was detated from his head and, uh... When they found Skip, <laughs> you, they,
1: you pulled a Scott. What's, <laughs> you said it's coward. no. That's from the office. Oh, <laughs> Are you had a Scott stroke. No. Uh, and when they found
0: Skip laying there, he was pretty much intact except for his head, that is, and apparently he was still holding his lantern. So, legend has it that if you stand on the tracks, you will see Skip's lantern in the distance searching for his head so so it sounds pretty easy i mean it it seems like okay well if we figure out if this person existed um if there were trains running through chapel hill and if they were still using signalmen and there were still lanterns at this time okay we might be able to say yeah this might possibly be true so i think the story itself is pretty creepy um, and what makes it even creepier is that people actually have seen the light. We know people yeah, that have that. seen this light. I want to go see it myself actually. So my whole plan is I would go there and I would walk at it from both directions until one of like we reach each other and go like there is nothing here or somebody's like oh scram there's a whole like headless guy walking around looking for his head. Anyway, as I mentioned before is what as I was digging into this story it, it sort of it's sort of branched off into another story. So when we get to that point, I'll kind of say like, okay, here's where story a and research a ends. And here's where we go from there. And then we'll kind of bring it all back together. Sound good. Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> This is the best version I had of that. Like I said, um, that's as it was told to me, but a little bit of research found out that this story was actually in a book called 13 Tennessee ghosts and Jeffrey. I don't know who Jeffrey is, but apparently he was important enough to get his name in the titles. And this was written by Catherine Tucker Windham and published in 2016. Um, I'll leave a link in the description of this podcast with any of this evidence or any of these documents I've mentioned, I'll leave the link in the, in the uh, description so you can all check them out for yourselves. So you, you can't say you're just making that up, but I would like to elaborate a little bit on the story that I was told so we could get a little more clarity, um, and maybe a little more evidence as to who this skip agent was when this happened and sort of, work out the loose ends. So, as I said, this light appears in Chapel Hill, and it apparently back in the nineteen thirties, um the best guess is 1937 or 1938, a man named Skip Agent was struck and killed by a train at the crossing where the light is now seen, which after a little digging I found is called Winds Crossing. Now that's still a crossing there. There's still a road there called Winds Crossing. It's north, just north of Chapel Hill. It's like the northernmost limits um, of Chapel Hill. And they say if you look north, that you can see this light sort of hovering out there. In the 70s, there were a couple college students that claimed that the light came at them, and they were paralyzed in fear um, but they somehow escaped this mysterious light. So my first thought was, okay, well, if this story is true, we should be able to find record of a guy named Skip Agent that lived in Chapel Hill. Um, We should be able to find proof that the trains were running through Chapel Hill at that time, that they used signalmen, and that the lanterns were still used. So the first place... I decided to look, since we determined the time frame was probably 1937 to 1938, and we have his name confirmed, was findagrave.com. Have you heard of find- findagrave.com? Nope.
1: Nope. Never. Okay.
0: And this is not sponsored by findagrave.com, although it would be really cool if findagrave.com <laughs> decided, hey, we're going to sponsor you for this. Anyway, findagrave.com is you can put a person's name in, um, you can put in their like birth date or the day they died, uh, the year they died, and... Or you can say like, okay, they died after 1940 and their last name was this in this state. And it brings you up. It's pretty creepy, but pretty cool. Is it brings up pictures of their tombstones. And then um, people can go and like leave virtual flowers on that grave. If you, get, you can't see me. I'm on a podcast, but I'm doing the air quotes <laughs> for virtual flowers. Putting in the last name agent, and I will mention that it was spelled in a weird way. It's not a g e n t like agent would be spelled. It's actually a d g e n t. Okay, so I, th- I believe it's pronounced agent. It could be adjent for for all I know, but you know, people in Chapel Hill say agent. So um, that's that's what we're going to go with for this. So don't write me angry letters if you're like, no, it was skip agent. To put this in perspective, Chapel Hill today has about fifteen hundred residents. Okay. How many residents do you think there were between 1930 and 1940
1: in Chapel Hill? I have no idea. I'm not good at this game. <laughs> um,
0: 390.
1: Oh, that's way less. I that was, was going little... to say, I was going to say like 700, but
0: I was like, that's probably. No, no. no. Um, back to Skip. So I put his name in and believe it or not, I found the last name, Agent, pop up. Lo and behold, I got the Kind of the Ghibli's when this happened. The <laughs> <laughs> I found that an agent had died in the year 1938.
1: That's interesting. Okay.
0: Isn't it? So I was like, holy moly, could this be true? Yeah. And yeah. So that's why I was like, okay, well, let's find this out. So uh, apparently the guy's grave is in Smyrna Cemetery in Chapel Hill. So I went back on Find a Grave and the full name on the gravestone is Ira L. Agent. Now, that's not Skip, but who knows? Maybe they called him Skip because...
1: Do you really uh, think Skip is a legal birth name?
0: No, but I mean, I don't think Ira would be a Skip either. You know, who they, would be a Skip? i not saying, well, somebody that's very happy and, and peppy, I would think. Or maybe the opposite. How do you know who,
1: Ira isn't peppy?
0: Well, I mean, I we'll get to that in a minute, actually. <laughs> so, Ira uh, Ira, L. Agent came up, so a quick Google search on the internet machines took me to what was actually the agent, agent, agent Family Papers, and they are housed at Middle Tennessee State University. You know what family papers are, Kayla? No. Okay. Family papers are basically a big scrapbook. So, back in the day, they would take any sort of newspaper clippings, photos of any noteworthy occasions or whatever and they put it on a big piece of paper and sort of became like a poster of this family's life oh. and existence and it's pretty interesting and it's you can still see it at mtsu they have it there in the library and you can go in you know interesting look
1: at it. i didn't know that was a thing
0: me neither Anyway, it starts out like this. Sam Sam Joe Agent was born September 12th, 1909 in Marshall County, Tennessee. He was the eighth of Ira Lee and Ella Agent's ten children. His parents and grandparents were farmers in Murray and Marshall County. So I was like, dang! Dang! You know, because Ira was a farmer. He wasn't actually working on the railroads. Plus, he died as an old, happy man at the age of what would he have been like 73 or something like that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I don't really feel like it was Ira that was Skip because I don't think a 73 year old would be walking the tracks, um, you know, at that age.
1: It's not out of the realm of possibility. OK, OK, I'll take that. I'll take that. So anyway, I was like,
0: well, great. Now he has 10 kids. Now I've got to locate where like maybe one of these 10 kids was Skip. You know what I mean? At at that point, his kids were old enough to be working a job like that. So another quick search on uh, find a grave. I was able to put together nine of the 10 kids names and they range from birth dates in looks like 1880 when Skip was a very young man to 1917 so although we have that there is still one agent unaccounted for it could have been skip for all we know but they all seem to have lived very long lives so none of these children um were abruptly killed in 1938 i think the earliest one died in 1963 so they all live very long lives, which is great for the agents. And I'm sure they have many families that family members out there who are probably going to write us angry letters for bringing this up at all. <laughs> um, so although I can't say that Skip, you know, was was really a, a person. We don't have any solid proof that he was. So I'm a little skeptical at this point about that. Um, but I will say this, as you said, Ira, you know, might have been a, a jolly guy. I mean, we're talking about like 30 years of sexy time for 10 kids. <laughs> you know, I, mean, let's, let's, I mean, in the last one, he was 58 when he had had his last son, Leonard. I mean, I guess that's what you do in Chapel Hill in the 1930s. There's not much to do down there. But (laughs) anyway, so on from the agents, Uh, let's look at the trains because obviously, if there weren't train tracks in Chapel Hill in the late 30s, then obviously there was no accident involving trains, correct? Of course. Right. Okay. So this one was actually a lot easier to find out um, because of the records kept by the train builders and the the rail lines and everything. Um, And it turns out that the track that runs through Chapel Hill is called the Lewisburg Division, and it's a part of the Louisville and Nashville Railroad. Um, And this particular stretch starts in Brentwood, Brentwood, Tennessee, just south of Nashville, and runs to Birmingham, Alabama. It's okay. construction began in 1911 and finished in 1915. So there we go. There were so railroad there. tracks yeah. running through Chapel Hill in the late 30s. So that leads us to a signalman. Would they need a signalman in Chapel Hill? So sure, we confirmed there was tracks. Um, I found a map from 1933 that uh, shows a, a diagram of a stretch running through Chapel Hill. Um, And they mark the improvements that were made on it along the times. I guess that's the way they kept records back then. The first record of any sort of improvement being made was 1911. So it was it was probably one of the first sections of track they built. Um, But the problem is, is there was only one set of rails. So a signalman, if you don't know, is a guy who flags down the trains, warning of traffic down the down the track. So if there's another train down the track, they say, whoa, buddy, pump your brakes, turbo. There's another train down there. So you might want to slow down. Or they assist in the switching of tracks, which would mean there has to be more than one set of tracks. Sure. So there was not, although I'm not saying there wouldn't be a signalman in Chapel Hill. It just seems kind of very unlikely since there was no train station Mm -hmm. in Chapel Hill. So there was no need for the trains to stop. But for the sake of the story, we'll say, sure. Yeah. You know, there was a signalman in Chapel Hill. Maybe he was just out there, you know, as a hobby or something like that. Um, so the last piece of this whole equation would be where that were if they used lanterns in 1938, well, they started out using lanterns, um, as early as the 1880s, I think. Um, and they were usually kerosene powered, kerosene gas lanterns. Um, and they used them up till just, uh, after, just after World War II. So that was like the 1950s. So, okay. Signalmen were using gas lanterns in the late thirties on a set of tracks that runs through Chapel Hill, Tennessee. Let's go ahead and say that. So it's case closed, right?
1: Mm, I feel like, no,
0: (laughs) (laughs) you would feel right. So the one strange thing, and here's the point where we got to sort of put a, put a pin in this whole train track story, signalman's head getting chopped off, skip agent story. Okay. Okay. Because as I was looking this up, it turns out that there are some residents of Chapel Hill that insist the light did not have started appearing till a later date. Or much later, but they said it wasn't until December of 1940. Okay. okay. What happened in December of 1940,
1: Kayla? I have no idea.
0: Okay, great. So what happened in December of 1940 in Chapel Hill was a local woman by the name of Lillian Ketchum disappeared. So okay. at first, nobody thought much of this. It was near the holidays. Maybe she booked a nice condo down in Boca and, you know, wanted to get down out of the, the cold Tennessee weather. But what they found strange now for us doesn't seem that strange because sometimes we would like to leave our children at home and go on a nice vacation without them. But she left her two kids at home Okay, and she just nobody knew where she was. So for some reason, it took a couple days before anybody was like, hey, uh, Lillian left and her kids are still here. Um, and Cause it's
1: the 1930s or 40. And <laughs> there's no social media. There's no Internet. There's I no know, cell
0: phones. I know. But there's only 300 people in the town. You would think that. You know, the circle of jibber jabbers going around would have been like, you know, mm, girl, you know, <laughs> at the local local grocery or whatever. Well, maybe they were focused
1: on Susie that
0: week. Maybe, maybe they were. Susie was, was quite the controversial. Um, anyway, so some days later, the local law enforcement decided they would come in to action here and they started to investigate and said that's it she's dead Uh, there was no reason to believe she was dead but they said that's it she's dead so they started looking for the body and after several days they couldn't find her and at this point foul play wasn't even suspected they were just like "Mm, she's dead we can't find her Um, but there wasn't any evidence so although the locals, those those ladies at the grocery, mm-hmm. suspected a man named Robert Skinner, okay. who lived close to her. Well, it turns out that Robert Skinner had been dating her for years, although... Hold on, wait for it. She was married, and her husband was imprisoned. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a twist. Yes. See what I mean? So, some think that the fact that she continued to turn down his proposals fed him up you know he just he was like i can't have this anymore so i'm just gonna you know kill you i guess doesn't seem very practical but you know what yeah. le- you know loves a, a fickle thing um okay so here's where things really got weird then two weeks after her disappearance out of nowhere the suspect robert killed himself oh. mm-hmm So this raised even more suspicion and the search intensified, but there were no clues of what happened or where the body may be. Okay, so we've got that, done. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another another note to make um, was that I did find record of that. uh, Not so much news of a murder uh, in a, you know, suicide in Chapel Hill, but... uh, I was able to find an index of obituaries from the Shelbyville Gazette in 1941, Mm -hmm. and Ketchum was on there, and it said uh, she was murdered by Robert. The other weird thing, though, is not long after, actually the same day, it's listed as a David Skinner dying and it says the father was Robert. So I don't know if Robert killed his son. But a great place to hear this is actually I found a lot of these details on a podcast called Southern Gothic. And they do an episode about this next man who jumps into the picture. As I said, they had no idea where the body was. And the people of uh, Chapel Hill kind of got fed up there like, you know what, we really want to find Lillian. So in February of 1941, some of the local law enforcement went to a clairvoyant named Simon Warner, who lives in Shelbyville. For those of you who don't know, Shelbyville is a town uh, about 20 miles southeast from Chapel Hill. Um, So it's not very hard to get to. But Warner said he had this gift that he was born with that he could um, he could see murders. So uh, up to three months before they happened. So he would turn on his little nanu nanu. And he would be able to see, like, oh, there's this murder that's going to take place, and this is where it happens, and stuff like that, which led to his own demise, which I'm not going to go into because this whole story would just get completely off the rails, which wasn't meant to be a bad train pun, but I just (laughs) ended up being... Simon Warner goes, oh, yeah, I've heard about this story. You know, it's only 20 miles away. And sure enough, apparently Simon Warner described the spot that Mary's body was in so specifically that law enforcement were like, duh, we know exactly where that is in the bushes. Get this next to the railroad tracks was the body, the frozen body of Lillian Ketchum.
1: So why do we not think that this guy did it?
0: No, I thought that, too. I was like, wait a minute. He knows exactly where this body is. Like, that's that's a little shady. But -hmm. apparently at the time, nobody thought or thought anything of it because he had made his name for himself being this soothsayer or uh, some even called him a voodoo doctor that he was
1: right enough. Yeah, because. He thought about it. Right. Then he did it. Right. So, so three months ahead he's of time. Not psychic. He's, he's a psycho. <laughs> yeah.
0: Maybe. Okay. So Carry we're on. not gonna go into that story, but <laughs> apparently nobody thought about it. They were just like, oh Robert did it. He's been schnoiking her in the you know, with her husband in prison, so Uh, it must be who did it okay okay so now here we are lillian ketchum's dead robert skinner is dead yeah simon warner located her body to a t next to the train tracks so why would that lead to a light on the train tracks
1: yep no idea
0: i don't know either and it doesn't make sense to me like okay sure it might be a, a ghost walking around or something but you know, for for this the sightings they have of this light, it's the the lantern story makes a lot more sense because it looks like a lantern. Okay. Like it doesn't seem like uh Lillian Ketchum would be walking around. And I don't know exactly where her body was found along the tracks. It could just be a coincidence that it might I mean, Chapel Hill's only a mile wide as it is anyway, so there's not much room to play with there. But I just don't don't seeing it happening. Okay. Okay. So here's where we get to put all of this together and come up with a conclusion of what this is or if it's really a a ghost walking around on the tracks with a lantern um, that lives in Chapel Hill, Tennessee. What do you think, Kayla?
1: I really don't know.
0: (laughs) That's okay. You cannot know. First, the the weird thing is, is the original story uh, has no like record of happening. Like there's no record of this accident happening in Chapel Hill of of uh, Skip Agent getting run over and uh, killed on the train tracks. Okay, now this was the 1930s through the 1940s. I found this fact really interesting. I looked up, uh, you know, like the deaths along the tracks during mm-hmm. during that time. This wasn't just those set of tracks, but in railways in general. Ten years, okay. There were 50,000 deaths related to trains. Wow. That's, That's like what? Like, like
1: just in general. Just right?
0: in general. But still, that was one of the considered one of the bloodiest times in the history of railroads. That's crazy. Right. So I, so I, was, like, I was like, well, maybe maybe they just, you know, it was Chapel Hill. Maybe they were just like, oh, old Skip was crazy anyway. We're not going to make any record of that. But I did find a. Uh, A lot of records that predated that that they covered pretty, uh, especially accidents that uh, involved like employees of the rail lines that they had pretty detailed reports of those happening. Sure. So mm, I think there should still be a report somewhere if this happened. Okay. That's just my thought. So that takes us to that 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 takes us through our stories and our scenarios, but we know the light is there, right? Yeah. Okay. So this point, we got to look into, Okay, so what exactly is that light? But the biggest problem is this exact story is reported to happen all over the country. So for over a century, mysterious lights were seen bobbing up and down along railroad tracks near Mako Station, a few miles west of Wilmington, North Carolina. When anyone approached the lights, they would disappear. So I guess this explains why people didn't approach the lights in Chapel Hill, because they would just disappear if they did.
1: Makes sense <laughs> So to me. Yeah,
0: right? So the lights were observed many times over many years. They were even photographed on occasion. And it is said that President Grover Cleveland saw the lights while he was on a Whistle Stop tour in 1889. So this is dating, predating the Chapel Hill story by a good, what, 40, 50 years. So 1889 to 1930. So Right. I don't know. I'm not good at numbers. Carry the one. I don't I carry the one and and I got a headache. So the source of these lights has never been determined. But according to legend, the light is the ghost of a railroad railroad (laughs) railroad (laughs) worker who died on the tracks one night in 1867. So that even that's even further back. That's like 70 or 80 years before the, the Chapel Hill story. So here's how this story goes. On the tragic night in 1867, a train was rolling along the tracks and the signalman, Joe Baldwin, was sleeping in the caboose. Joe's slumber was broken by a violent jerk. Why a jerk was on the train, I don't know. But
1: Stop. (laughs) That is terrible. (laughs) Your jokes are terrible.
0: (laughs) A veteran railroad worker, Joe Baldwin. They always use his full name in this story. Like it's like, uh, you know, like Joe Baldwin, Joe Baldwin, Joe Baldwin. I don't know. You know, it's like I can't give you an example,
1: but yeah, yeah, I get it.
0: You know what I mean? So um, so Joe Baldwin was woken from his slumber by a violent jerk, a veteran railroad worker. Joe Baldwin recognized the motion and immediately knew the caboose had become detached from the rest of the train. So Joe knew this wasn't the only train scheduled for the track those nights. A passenger train was due along soon. And the oncoming train, if the oncoming train struck the stalled caboose, there would be a horrible accident, which we can only imagine. Yep. Joe Baldwin <laughs> had a choice to make. And boy, did he ever. He knew that if that he had to signal the oncoming train to stop, he knew that the only way to do this and be sure the engineer in the approaching train would see the signal was to stand on a platform at the back of the caboose. So Joe Baldwin. Knew that if the oncoming train hit the stalled caboose at full speed, everyone on board the passenger train could die. He also knew that it takes a long time for speeding trains to stop, which is still the case. Even if the engineer saw the light and stopped, there wouldn't be time enough to slow down to prevent a complete disaster. The chances were good that the caboose was still about to be hit. And if he was on that caboose when that happened, Baldwin knew he didn't stand much of a chance of walking away from that crash. He could either save his own life or he could try desperately to save the lives of those passengers. Baldwin made a heroic choice. Grabbing his lantern, Joe Baldwin stood on the back of the caboose as the sound of the oncoming passenger train rumbled closer. Joe frantically waved his warning light, trying to catch the attention of the engineer. Joe's plan worked. The engineer of the oncoming train saw the light and pulled hard on the brakes, but the momentum of the tons of speeding steel kept the train moving and the locomotive slammed into Joe's caboose, which I can make (laughs) Um, many jokes mm -hmm. about the wording there. (laughs) Joe's bravery. Let's not make fun of Joe. Joe's bravery saved many lives, but not his own. You want to guess what happened to Joe Baldwin? He died. How did he die? I don't know. He lost me. He was decapitated. Oh. Joe's head was thrown by the force of the accident into the murky swamps that surrounded the tracks. It was never found. His headless body was buried with the hero's honor a week later. Four years after the accident, lights were seen moving up and down the track around Mako. Sometimes only one light, sometimes two. People said that it was the ghost of Joe Baldwin still searching for his missing head. The Mako lights have been seen for over a hundred years... But has not been seen since 1977. This was the year that the railroad tracks at Mako Station were pulled up. So this story comes courtesy of NorthCarolinaGhosts.com. So if you want to see the full story, you can go. That was pretty much the full story. I was like, What's left? <laughs> <that?"> there's there's, <laughs> there's more Joe Bald- Baldwin's in there. So anyway, this sounds really familiar, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, I know what you're thinking. You know, I I said, you know, trains are really dangerous and odds are that many people could have been decapitated by trains. But I think, you know, maybe nah because I think there would have been news of so many decapitations involving trains maybe out there, although it's bad for the brand. You know, trains will cut your head off. Yeah. You know, but anyway. This leads me to the next point. Lights like this have been seen around the globe. All, if not most, have a natural explanation for the Mako lights. For example, many explanations have been offered for the mysterious lights, including one intriguing geological possibility. Mako stands on top of a geological fault line. Some have speculated that the source of the light was static electricity produced by pressures of the fault building up under the tracks and discharging as light when the tracks reached their capacity. This would explain why the lights haven't been seen since the tracks have been pulled up. Now, there's a very similar story to this, but doesn't involve tracks. Um, And it is the uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of Marfo lights in Texas. Okay. Okay. Now, these lights don't have tracks associated with them, but uh, there is video of them. um, And uh, it's sort of the same sort of thought that this this light is actually plasma. Now, I'm not a rock scientist of any kind or anything, but from my best understanding is what happens is when the ground vibrates under under the ground, like whether from a fault line or a tremendous amount of force on top of it, it builds up static electricity and actually creates underground lightning. And when this underground lightning sort of reaches its capacity, it creates plasma balls above the surface of the ground. So that would also a lot of these stories are said to only happen whenever it's like rainy or it's about the storm or that sort of thing. So the air is already charged and energized for that sort of phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And then it's just that constant rumble of the tracks creates this this uh, static electricity that poof, creates this plasma. Okay. In the Chapel Hill lights, for example, they say it only comes out in the rain. So that would kind of explain why that happens. Okay, that's not even the only natural explanation for this type of mysterious light appearing. So in folklore, uh, Willow the Wisp or Willow Wisp or Ignis Fatuis, pronounced uh, in Medi- medieval Latin, I guess that is, for fool's fire. Now this is an atmospheric ghost light seen by travelers at night especially over bogs, swamps, and marshes. The phenomenon is also known in English folklore uh, and much of European folklore by a variety of names, including Janto Lan- Jack-o'-lantern, Friar's Lantern, Hinky Punk, which is my favorite, and Hobby Lantern. Uh, Hinky, Hinky Punk. <laughs> um and is said to mislead travelers by resembling a flickering lamp or lantern in literature the will-o'-the-wisp sometimes have a metaf- metaphorical meaning um so they describe a hope or something if people reach it and so that's why it's used in how it's used in literature but will-o'-the-wisp appears in folklore tales and traditional legends of numerous countries and cultures notable will-o'-the-wisps include the saint louis light In Saskatchewan, Marfa Lights of Texas, which I mentioned Marfa. I think I said Marfo before, but it's Marfa Lights. Uh, The Naga Fireballs on the Mekong in Thailand and the Hesdalan Light in Norway. While urban legends, folklore and superstitions typically attribute uh, will of the wisp to ghosts, fairies or elemental spirits, modern science often explains them as natural phenomena, such as bioluminescence, or, oh, this is a good one, chemiluminescence caused by oxidation of phosphane, diphosphane, and methane produced by organic decay, which is why it usually appears over swamps, bogs, and marshes.
1: Mm, I like to think of it as fairies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this leads, however, to one of the most notable set of lights, and you aren't a, a paranormal nerd like I am, right, Kayla? No. Have you ever heard of the Paulding Lights? Of course not. Okay. (laughs) If you were a nerd like me, you would have. The Paulding Lights uh, are a phenomenon that appear outside of Paulding, Michigan. At the top of a hill, you will see dancing lights off in the distance. They are very real. There's lots of videos of them. They're, They're all over the place. You could Google search it right now and you'd probably come up with like 30 different videos. This really happens and you can go there today and see it. Some believe they are aliens, ghosts, spirits, or even a portal to another dimension. Or fairies. Or fairies off in the distance, uh, bumping uglies. Um, maybe it's the maybe it's uh maybe it's old uh Ira out there, you know? Maybe who knows. Anyway, the light or lights, sometimes they come in more than one. Sometimes they're in big groups up here in a valley near Robbins Pond Road. And it was even featured in a sci-fi channel. It used to have a show called Factor Faked where they would go out and try to determine if these things yeah, are real or that. false. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, however, and it took to 2018 for a Ph.D. Candidate student in electrical engineering at Michigan Technological University to prove once and for all that the lights, what the lights were. Do you have any guesses what these lights were? Other than (laughs) fairies. That's all I could come up with. Car lights. What do you mean, car lights? I will explain. Okay. Turns out that the hill you stand on has the perfect view of Highway 45. But from that distance, you can't see the road. But you can see the lights. So they conducted a simple experiment. They sent one of their colleagues. They they pinpointed on a map. They were like, okay, from this point where we're standing, we have a clear view through this valley of this section of Highway 45. It was far enough that you couldn't actually see the road, but the, if the conditions are just right, the air is very undisturbed by light pollution up there and everything, so this littlest light will shine a very long way.
1: Okay.
0: So they sent their colleague out to this one point that they pinpointed this happening, and they told him to, like, say, uh, turn on your flashers. Lo and behold, the lights started flashing amber. Okay. And they said, you know, like uh, put flip, hit your brake lights, and they turned red. So it turns out that. The red lights are cars that are traveling up away from where the people are standing and the white ones are facing them as they're coming towards it. And they said you should see the pandemonium that erupts whenever there's red and blue alternating lights, (laughs) which is simply whenever a cop pulls somebody over going too fast on Highway 45.
1: It's pandemonium for me, too, when that
0: happens. (laughs) Pandemonium. It's pandemonium for anybody when that happens. Okay. Okay. So that's what the potting lights were. they had a simple explanation. There's still people today, though, even after seeing this, this evidence that they're like, nope, it's aliens. So I guess oh, there's, al- sure. there's always going to be those people, someone, but they've proven it that it, that is simply it is it is just simply uh, road lights. And the Marfa lights that I uh, described earlier, too, um, they actually built a, it. They've been going on so long that they actually built a viewing like welcome station outside of Marfa. Um, it's It's a nice little building. You can sit there and you can observe the lights. But the problem is, is they have a highway that runs in the distance some 20 miles away where you can't see the road, but you can see the headlights coming up and down. And they say it doesn't happen every night. That's because they're in the middle of Texas. In the middle of nowhere and there's not always cars traveling on that highway
1: Mm -hmm.
0: now there are off to the other side where it does happen where there isn't a road but that's where they think this whole plasma thing happens with the with the fault line running through texas got it so um i've said it before i love i love paranormal i love believing in this stuff but i just can't believe in the chapel hill lights being the ghost of skip agent or of lillian ketchum
1: I understand that.
0: Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: I. Other than fairies. (laughs) Always comes back to the fairies. You got me with that one. Um, No, I don't. I mean, now that you gave me all that, I'm okay with the information that it's. You're not,
0: you're not terribly uh terribly upset
1: no i'm not the
0: people of chapel hill might be if you know if any if anybody in chapel hill happens to listen
1: whoever's is, uh, grandfather knew this is ira
0: agent <laughs> well that's the other thing like if anybody's out there that is like yeah no skip was my great uncle and i know for a fact that he got his head lopped off on the tracks Then please reach out to us and let us know because i base all of this on fact of if I can read that it actually happened or there's documentation of it, then bam, I will be a believer. But the only thing I want to the whole reason I kind of picked this Chapel Hill thing and sort of wanted to quote unquote debunk it was it's very dangerous to be walking along the tracks in the middle of the night. And this was proven on June 15th, 1997 at 325 a.m. Well, apparently there were college students out there trying to find the lights, didn't see the train coming from the opposite direction and were hit by the train. Um, Unfortunately, a 23 year old was killed. That is public record. That is that is is on the news since it happened in 1997. Obviously, we have documentation of that. So stay off the tracks when you're looking for these things. Use your brains if you're going to go exploring this stuff. Um, but, but now's your chance. It's the end of the podcast. I want to know what, what everybody out there is thinking. Do you think this is a paranormal phenomenon? Do you think this is, um, a natural phenomenon? <laughs> Hit us up and let us know. You can email us at scary truth at gmail.com or message us on one of our social media platforms at scary on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Kayla, do you have any last words you'd like to leave the people with
1: i really wish that there would have been a skip <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was hoping for
0: i think that's what everybody was hoping for
1: but it's just you know after
0: after seeing like all these different locations there were two in north carolina alone that had the same story yeah of, that
1: same story yeah.
0: yeah it's just i mean yeah okay you know one of those places that might be believable now i didn't research into the the mako lights like there could be documentation of Joe was his name, Joe Baldwin or, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, actually having an accident like that. Um, But the fact that they disappeared when they pulled up the tracks just seems like, well, obviously the tracks were causing something. Yeah. And they haven't been seen since, since 1971, I think I said. Yeah. So I just I I have a feeling that that there's just a natural explanation for what's going on in Chapel Hill, although I really want to see it because I think it'd be really cool if it's plasma floating above the ground. I think that's pretty, pretty cool thing to see, Um, which we will take all the proper channels with to make sure we're not trespassing on private property and, uh, you know, to go see this
1: what when you say plasma floating mm-hmm. i i like imagine this like floating like, like slimer from sl- the ghostbusters yes. <laughs> like this ball of goo
0: i think that's i think that's actually what like the proton packs were designed to do was like to catch capture plasma or something but was it um yeah um
1: like is it like plasma that's like in your blood plasma
0: i don't think so i don't think it has like a, it's a it's the way, the best way I I saw it explained was um it's like a tier above gas so it okay. doesn't leave a physical residue but it's just a a, a a natural occurrence that happens a natural phenomenon like think of the sun you know the sun has its rays that shoots plasma off of. So you're not getting hit with sun oh you know um if you, you can't see me i'm on a podcast but i'm throwing stuff at <laughs> kayla
1: <throwing> <laughs>
0: on imaginary, imaginary things. things at kayla so i don't think it's something that actually physically like other than maybe gives you skin cancer um you know what you would feel so it wouldn't leave a mark on the tracks you know oh, yeah. like at the end of the day
1: I, I just wanted to share my no that's great visual yeah yeah that's all
0: all right well i think that puts a wrap in this one i think i i, I want to say case closed although i know we'll probably hear from people that say nope not case closed and i'd love to revisit this at some point like i said we're hoping to go visit this spot and maybe we'll we'll record it for you and um explain some of what's going on and maybe we'll be able to uh do the old thing where we walk from uh, one end to the other and meet in the middle and see if one of us is covered in goo <sighs> <laughs> uh,
1: hopefully not me <laughs>
0: Anyway, so we thank you again for joining us for the first episode of The Scary Truth. Uh, tune in next time. We, we, we will be discussing who knows what, maybe more of skipping fairies. But. Yes! <laughs> Until next time, this is Scott Karen and Kayla Karen. And now you know The Scary Truth.